Here on Stats and Stories, we spend a lot of time talking about research involving statistics, the practical applications of statistical data, and how news media cover statistical stories. What we spend less time talking about is statistical education. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio are regular panelists, John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, former chair of media, journalism, and film. Our guest today in the studio with us is Gail Burrell. Burrell is a mathematics specialist in the program in mathematics education at Michigan State University. Her research interests are statistics education, the use of technology in teaching secondary mathematics, and the issues related to what it means to teach math. She's also the former president of the International Association for statistical education. Gail, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. What inspired you to get involved in statistical education? So I was teaching high school and uh, my junior and seniors were um, had a study hall two days a week, three days a week actually, and they were bored and causing problems. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, how about if I teach a class? Um, and so I thought, well, why not try statistics? It, sounded intriguing and I like numbers and data. And so we we made a class happen and they weren't bored anymore and I thought it was really fun. That led me to being one of the very few statistics teachers in that those days. Um, and when they had a Woodrow Wilson Summer Institute for three weeks, four weeks actually in Princeton, mm-hmm. um, I was lucky enough to be one of the people that was chosen to go there a couple of years after I started teaching stats. And then that's where I met um, John Tukey, and who's one of the all-time kind of renowned recent figures in the innovations in stat education, um, or actually the field of statistics, not just the education part. Um, and then that eventually, a couple of years later, led to me meeting Deming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also a very cool thing. And and he was all about teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was just great. And once I started, I never stopped. And we kept having classes and statistics, and, and it was fun. How did you decide what you were going to teach these high school students? Because, you know, as a high school, I, I have a high schooler. And I imagine if I said, instead of doing study hall, we're going to teach you statistics, I imagine the eye roll I would get from her. So I'm just wondering, how did you, what, how did you choose what you taught these students in order for them to be engaged? Because math is something that's so many students and stats are sort of scared of or wary of. Well, they didn't really know enough to be scared of or wary about it. (laughs) And so we just started with data. I mean, we got to do things like, okay, so it turns out that Milwaukee... His uh, was at that time um, a, a place where advertising people did their marketing tryouts. Yeah. Oh. So we, th- so the kids did things like they went to, um, they they trucked on what kind of ads they got them from the Milwaukee Journal, and the Milwaukee Journal would tell us what they were doing, and we could get these big books about stuff, and they could go to places like go to the shopping mall on one side of town and price out certain things, and go to the shopping mall on the other side of town and price out certain things, and discover that the prices were different, mm. um, and that that fascinated them. Mm-hmm. Um, we could do the same thing with groceries and in stores. Um, so we did stuff like that. Um, they got to do a lot of their own. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have anybody. I don't think I ever had a formal statistics course before. Um, so 
we just did whatever seemed like fun and kind of analyzing data as we went along and looking at what the data had to tell us about cool things. This is like one of your tips for introducing students to statistics. I read, because this is how you kind of started out. You don't start out with definitions and formulas. You start out with hands-on activities and uh, and just getting them into the concepts right away. So that's something you just sort of had an instinct that this was the way to get them in. So my question as a follow-up on that, so how do you get college students, how do we get college students? <laughs> and journalism students are very much like this. They come, they may have had a bad experience with math classes in high school, and they've, they've got this phobia. They don't want to take statistics. We really encourage our students to take statistics. So this is, so how do you, so you talked about, when you met them, they didn't know enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so we have, a, we have a different problem, I think, at the college level, and you've probably seen that, too. So my students at the college level um, are mostly in the College of Education. Yeah. Um, and so they, they do have that kind of aversion to taking statistics. Um, but I think, again, um, what I'm trying to do with those is to show them why they need it by engaging them in different kinds of kind of fun things, but also things that are important to what they're about to do. Um, I mean, I, we just had a story um, just yesterday. One of the um, our graduate students was a high school teacher in, um, in California, and he taught AP stats. And he, they, his school got involved in data. Hmm. Everybody had to have data. Data mm -hmm. is a big thing, so your school will be better if all the teachers have data. So the data came back on algebra. And his students did so well that he was charged with taking the other algebra teacher and helping the other algebra teacher learn what he was doing so she could be, become better. So but he was, he was a pretty smart guy, and he said, okay, well, let's just look at these data and try to figure out what's going on. And it turns out that it was, had nothing to do with um, his teaching, it had to do with the lunch period uh. and who the kids. So the lunch period, the, the kids were actually the juniors taking algebra were in one lunch period and got one teacher. And the sophomores or freshmen in algebra were in another lunch period. And the juniors were, had mostly failed the, the algebra course already. And so it had nothing to do with his teaching ability. But that's a story like that. My students sit up and they go, really? Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I need to pay attention. <laughs> I don't know if that helps, but um, you got to give them something that they care about. Like yeah. how many pets are, um, do people have in their family? What mm -hmm. kind of answers do you think kids would give? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I find that when you said you started with data, that was pretty revolutionary at the time. I know that uh, just in the, the time that I've been watching the intro stat book world, it's, it has evolved dramatically from, from things that were more formulaic to, to those that are more data motivated. So, I, you know, you had insights very early. I'm, I'm quite mm -hmm. impressed. That's, that's really awesome. But it was it was the analyzing data part that was fun. It was yeah. working with the data. It was remember I didn't really have a formal statistics course, so I didn't know all the formulas that I needed to learn. And um, I have to tell you that I, I did get a book. Um, I forget the name of it. it was a little in yellow. Um, I think it was written by some NCTM president. Um, but I taught the probability section in the book, and all the answers were wrong the first year. 
Oh. <laughs> and the second year, not so many answers were wrong. Oh. And the third year, almost all the answers in the book were right. Uh, that, that's progress. That, that was progress, but I didn't really know a whole lot. And I kept, and when I finally got them all right, I kept thinking, oh, my goodness, think of all the kids I've ruined oh. in terms of their understanding and probability. <laughs> but I, I didn't come up with all those formulas that I was supposed to know how to use. So, I, I would love to hear a, story, a, a Tukey story. About kind of one of the you know so so John Tukey clearly was this is this luminary in in the history of our uh, of st statistics profession and the impact on things like exploratory data analysis and more. So what was it like to to interact with him as a as someone who was coming into the teaching of statistics and encountering this this person? Scary. <laughs> I mean, he was a really interesting person. So. Um, I've, the, the one thing, I remember a couple things, but one thing I remember is, um, so he was did a, a talk with us. There were 50 of us um, in, the, in these teachers at Princeton. And he, one of my friends, um, at the end of the talk, asked him a question. I can't even remember the question. I just remember that he was sitting and he leaned back in his chair to the back two legs, closed his eyes, and put his arms across his chest, and silence, and it's silence. <laughs> and pretty soon we're all looking at each other. There's a, you could have heard a pin drop in this auditorium. We're all looking at each other. And then, then Pam whispered, she said, did I, did I say something bad? What did, I, <laughs> what did I do? And all of a sudden he went, and he put his chair back down, and he sat up, and he answered her question. And, and that's how he thought. Mm -hmm. He was processing, and his answer when it came out, there was no hesitancy, it was very complete, but he was processing, and, and he scared us all. <laughs> I still, a couple of us still get together, and we still talk about that, about how we were. It reminds me of the fictional detective Nero Wolf. He used to do that in the... <laughs> Oh, yeah. In his books, he would sit, and his you could see his lips moving, and everything would go quiet, and then he would come up with the answer. <laughs> well, very much it, like but since then, I have discovered uh, some of my other friends are like that, especially some mathematicians. I have some really awesome math mathematician friends, and in, like one of my dear colleagues, I can I can see him start to zone out if I ask him an interesting question. He zones out while he's processing, <laughs> and then he'll come back to life when he's finally figured it out. John zones out, but he's not really processing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> not nice, Richard. Oh, I'm not entering into this at all. <laughs> oh, and he was one of my friends. You know, <laughs> So what ideas are, you know, as you've, as you've been teaching this then over the years, you started with data, what, what ideas are some of the hardest to, for students to grasp? And what are some of the strategies that you've found to be effective in trying to, to then teach those? So when I started doing this, I didn't really understand that there were really hard things to teach. I was just teaching stuff. <laughs> and then to kind of the world of advanced placement statistics came along, and then it got a little more organized and a little more formal. And then, and so then I'm, you know, now I have to teach at the university where there's some expectations about what kids are going to learn. And so I really started to think hard about, well, what's going on here? And and so one of the things that I'm figuring out is that there's certain concepts that kids really don't understand. Mm. I'm pretty sure that you could go to a class you have of undergraduates and ask them what the mean is. And you're probably going to get an answer like uh, you add them up and divide. 
So there's really not a conceptual foundation. There's a recipe. It's a recipe. There's yeah. really no conceptual understanding. And the more I take apart some of these things, the more I discover that there really is a lack of conceptual understanding about random, about mm. distribution. And I, I'm thinking that we go too fast. Everybody goes too fast over these supposedly very simple ideas. Um, the, the idea of um, the fact that you reason from the known, how known things behave, mm to conjecturing mm -hmm. about the unknown. That's a big idea. And I don't think kids get it um, because we don't, we don't talk about that enough. We get into the doing. We start giving them the formula. We start processing it. We don't get into the doing. Um, so that's what I found hard. Um, and we've been working with interactive applets to try to leverage better conceptual understanding. And I, and I think it's promising from my work. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to Michigan State University's Gail Burrell about how people learn about statistics. I was actually going to ask you about the applet and new technology after the break, so I'm glad you brought it up before. I, I wonder, so how, what is this applet you're using? And I wonder if you could also talk a bit about maybe how technology, the way you use technology to teach statistics has maybe evolved as well. So at the beginning when I started using technology, I didn't understand that it would mean somewhat of a different way in what I was doing. For, for instance, I'm very used to walking around the room looking at what my students are writing. Mm -hmm. Now they're all using software. Everybody has a computer and they're using software and they're using these applets on the software. I can't see what they're writing. Um, you know, I have to find other ways to, to get what they're thinking out um, by having them talk with each other and me listening to their discussion or things like that, um, so, which was a surprise to me. Um, there's probably other changes I had to make. But basically, these, these applets are um, designed for them to respond to certain questions that will develop this kind of understanding. Um, so they might, um, for example, right now, they just spent yesterday, they are moving, um, trying to find lines of that will be appropriate models for linear data. Mm. Um, starting like they, they only know what an equation of a line is from mathematics. These are elementary pre-service students. And so how do I know when I have a good line? Mm. What are some possible approaches? And so they came up with the fact that, okay, they're going to try and find one that minimizes the deviations. They, they didn't quite use that language, but but that's what they... So now they're moving lines and looking at the sum of the absolute deviations. Um, and, and so they're talking with each other and they're asking, answering certain questions. Um, but they're all on these applets with it. They can just move the little clicks and things and they don't have to understand the programming. They just click and drag and, and they can kind of see the sum of these absolute deviations change. And they kind of, get, you know, then they have a contest to see who can get them the smallest. And then we magically go, okay, so, you know, there ought to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And well, we can just use this regression. Mm -hmm. And what does that do? Well, it minimizes the sum of the squares, not the absolute, whatever. I mean, but, but they work on that, and the technology um, lets them think about the ideas mm -hmm. rather than focusing on um, some formula or something else. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers the question, but 
I could give you more examples because that's what I do. <laughs> well, I, th I think that the idea of the technology letting the focus on the ideas is really in, is really useful and very important. I, I find that your, your your earlier comment about everyone goes too fast over the simple ideas. It seems like that might even be getting worse. And uh, and if I look at what students coming into college now, the expectation is they will have seen ideas at the high school level. They may not understand them. They may not have the conceptual grounding. They may be pretty proficient with the recipes. But yet they're going to be starting here and, and we'll probably be saying, well, we assume that you've had this. I mean, it, so it's, it, you know, how do you fight that, that, that pressure to, to push forward to, you know, this, this pressure to, to cover the syllabus, if you will, mm -hmm. when, when really what you want is this deeper conceptual understanding that they could build on? I think you have to stop and ask, <laughs> oh, what do you guys really understand? Um, when I say random, what's in your head? Mm -hmm. uh, even though they come to you as if they know all these ideas, yeah. I think you need to stop and ask. And it might mean some backpedaling while you try to develop that understanding. When you get them here, it would seem to me that you backpedal and then you help them build the linkages between where they came from to where you eventually want them to go. But, but it doesn't help if you tell them. Oh, indeed. You have to let them build the linkages yeah. because just telling, it, nobody gets it. Nobody gets it. I mean, mm -hmm. really, I can tell them anything I want and then 15 minutes later I can say, what did you – and right. I mean, I just told them, I do not want to see the mean equals the median equals the IQR equals. I want a story about the numbers. What's the context? <laughs> and I get the mean equals 12, the median is 2, the whatever, whatever. It's like, oh. So I saw in uh, a talk you gave at Drexel, you had tips for teaching statistics. And one of your tips was about randomness. And you say randomness is awesome. So how do you how do you get that across to students? That here's what's awesome about randomness. <laughs> okay, so one of the things I did is um, accidentally actually, um, it, my students in calculus weren't handing in their homework, and I had too many of them to collect their homework every day. This was back in high school, mm -hmm. and so I said, okay, I'm going to put your names in a bag, and I'm going to draw out four names every day, and that's whose homework I'll correct. So I did this, and. Um, and it was really when the same kid's name got drawn three times in a row, <laughs> they were like, sure, I was cheating. And I'm like, no, this is randomness. Do you guys want to draw the names out of the bag um, to, to show that this is what? And so we have an applet that mm -hmm. you can look at the class of 30 kids and you Choose four of them, and you will see that in a week's time, almost every single week, three one kid has to hand in a paper three times. That's <laughs> randomness. It's awesome, right? <laughs> Do you want the end of the story? Yes. Sure. yes. Okay, so I'm walking down the hall at the other end of the building one day, and sometimes the Lord just smiles on teachers because I looked down, and there was this little piece of paper on the ground way far from my classroom. And I picked it up because teachers are supposed to keep the halls clean, and it was one of my students' names, Kwong's name. I'm like, <sighs> so I go back and I look in my bag and Kwong's name wasn't in the bag. <laughs> so the next 
three days in a row, Kwong's name got called. Yeah, yeah randomness is awesome. Yeah, but, but also sometimes determinism is fun, right. too. I think of it as more than awesome. I think of it as job security. You know, this is a, you know you, you've been also very active uh, in international statistics education. Mm-hmm. How, how does the, the teaching and learning of statistics differ, if at all, across, across countries? And is somebody doing it better than we are in the States? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sorry. Um, yeah. So two Don't things. Don't be sorry. This yeah. is, this is, <laughs> all right. So, so I have not been to New Zealand, mm. um, but I have um, read all the work. I've talked with Chris Franklin. I have colleagues in New Zealand. I'm not sure how pervasive it is and how well it's hit the schools um, in the K-12 world, but I clearly think they're way ahead of us in in the kind of ways that they're thinking about teaching statistics. I mean, there's a project that they did, um, Wild and Fanafuk did, about rethinking what you do in intro stats and basing it more on um, simulation-based inference that that is part of what New Zealand as a country is doing. Mm. It's not just mm-hmm. something that one university or one mm-hmm. researcher is doing, but it's as a country that they're trying to rethink yeah. what's important and how to teach it so that the better learning takes place. But there are countries, I mean, we were, when we were at... Um, uh, in Kuala Lumpur okay. yeah. at the ISI World Congress just last summer, um, my, my colleagues from Slovenia um, readily admitted that their statistics is really not so database-based. It's We did a, a panel on that and that they're, they are still pretty much doing a mathematical statistical approach. Um, and, and I guess that's right for them. Um, but it's way different than the kind of data-driven things that we're thinking about here in the United States. I wonder, this is something we've asked a few of our guests, but there seems to be this climate where data and stats feel suspect and like it feels like there's less trust. Has it made that, has it made it more difficult for you to sort of engage with, with stats in the classroom? Or do you feel like there's has it made your job more difficult, this sort of climate of sort of skepticism around data and numbers and statistics? No. Um, mostly because schools seem to operate independent of the world. Mm. Uh, I mean, at least the case well environment does. I mean, mm-hmm. the world kind of reaches in um, mm-hmm. and pretends to. But as a matter of fact, one of the things I would say is not the teaching of statistics, but this this um, pervasive notion that if we collect a lot of data, it will make my school a better school, mm. that our achievement will rise. And the evidence is just not there that that's the case. Um, there was a great article by Heather Hill that just came out that says, you know, all this data doesn't buy improvement. And so to to make all of the professional development that happens in schools that administrators have teachers doing mm-hmm. is really not a productive use of their time. Mm-hmm. So what are you most excited about for the future of statistics education? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's a softball. That's a, that's a <laughs> most excited about or really want to see what happens? Yes. Okay, so you get I, to answer both. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So most excited about is probably the idea that um, 
that we can really do a lot with simulation-based inference and that the technology can really do the kind of things I'm working on with this concept building. I think that can make a whole lot of difference if we can get enough people to play the game. Hmm. I think it can make a lot of difference. What am I most excited about? The potential, and I got this from some of my my South American um, people who are trying to do statistics, the potential for statistics to to help change the economic um, plight in situations of countries. The idea of being able to make a difference in your country because you can, you can get statistics on how we're using water and what we can do to make better use of it, um, how, what kinds of things we're doing with waste, how, how we can... It, there are statistical things that can actually help countries mm-hmm. um, make a difference if they have the... Um, the ability and the support that they need um, in order to make that statistical education really a part of what they do in those countries. In this country, are there states that are doing a better job with statistics training? Or is this, I mean, you've seen it sort of gradually grow. I mean, I just know when my students, you know, when we were recruiting students, a lot of them had never had a statistics course in high school, mm-hmm. and today many more are yeah. coming in with statistics courses. So, what do you? What's your feeling about what we're doing here? Um, the the Common Core is actually, which is our Common Core state yeah. standards, which not all states use, but they have something close mm-hmm. to them. Actually, made a bigger emphasis on statistics, mm. um, and so that's been very useful and helpful. The American Statistical Association has a statistics ambassador, um, Chris Franklin, which I think was was on your show yeah. at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's doing a great job of working with schools. So I'm thinking states, maybe not so much, but districts, I think, uh, are really uh, yeah, taking yeah. it to heart yeah. and getting the support that they need to help their teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't identify a particular one, but I, I think – there are pockets mm-hmm. where um, they really are taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. So Rosemary Mary gave me permission to ask one little question. So I, I guess uh, so I have to always ask permission at the end because okay. she gets mad at me. Uh, so, so right now we're, there's a lot of discussion about data science. Right. In fact, there's this international data science in schools project that, you know, ASA and ISI and many other organizations are involved with, including, you know, and Chris Wilde's been involved right. in this and Nick Fisher has been a leader of this. I'm, I'm just curious what your take is on, on how does data science get wrapped up in terms of stat ed at multiple levels? Well, so remember I started in data. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was data science. I just started playing with data, and it probably wasn't data science then. Um, But I'm thinking that it's going to become a really more important part. I'm hearing schools now start data science um, statistics courses that are not advanced placement, but they're adding them into their their curriculum um, as an option, even though I think a lot of people really haven't figured out yet what this data yeah. science really would look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's got huge potential. Um, and things like Census at School that you can get from ASA is a great place to start for what we do in the K-12 world. Um, so I, I think it's, it's an awesome thing. Um, I think it's got a lot of potential. Great. Thank you. Well, Gail, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I was really happy. It was fun. 
Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.